now, what's keeping the church from growing? Now, I want to ask you three questions. Do you think as a nation and as a country, this is a good question now with the conventions going on, (laughs) do you believe that we're getting better and better or worse and worse? Say it again. All right, I do too. When you get shot at church, and did you see the other day, last Sunday, where that Catholic priest had his throat split, uh, split, cut, and the members were held, kidnapped, until the SWAT team got there? When you get shot at church, when you get shot in the movies, when you get shot at McDonald's, we're in bad shape. We're in bad shape. Uh, I didn't think I'd live long enough that, the, uh, according to the experts, the fastest growing ministry in all denominations, and even in the Church of Christ, is the security ministry. Who's watching the front door? Who's keeping anybody from coming in here and slaughtering people like they've done in other places? And so then security is our number. When you have 500 babies, we have 500 between the age of zero and fifth grade. That's a grammar school. That's a grammar school on Sunday morning. And so our, our, main, our main thing is security because when young couples come, they want to know, is their baby going to be safe in their class? We had to call the police the other day in our child development center because there was a divorce in the family they were not members of the church, but their kid went to our daycare center. And he came over there to start trouble. We had to call the cops. And so there's trouble everywhere. Okay, so we're getting worse and worse. All right, question number two. Is there too much world in the church and not enough church in the world? Too much world in the church. Do you know that in the divorce rate, it is almost the same in the church as it is in the world? And that in some areas, you can't tell any difference between those who are in the church and those who are not? So is there too much world in the church? Absolutely. Are there not enough churches in the world? Of course. What's the only hope of of this community, the local congregation. January of this year, I got physically ill at my, at my stomach because the word came to me that the Brainerd Church of Christ in Chattanooga, Tennessee had sold their building to a funeral home. I preached six years at the Brainerd Church from 68 to 74. When I left there, we had 550 members. And it dwindled down to nothing. That's one of the most beautiful buildings you'll see in in the South. The Brainerd Church of Christ in Brainerd, Chattanooga. In Chattanooga, Tennessee. No longer exists. The handful that was left went to East Brainerd, the church. And so congregations are dying. Now, the kingdom won't die because Daniel 2.44 says it'll live forever. 
And I believe that's the truth. I believe there will always, it may be like Klein Payton said in Texas, the day's going to come when South Africa is going to send missionaries to America. So we need to realize we've got a problem. And we need to keep our children. And this is what I'm telling brethren all over the country. If you don't have babies, and the third question is, are you involved with anybody spiritually? Is there anybody that you're really praying about, that you're concerned about, that you're watching to see any changes in their life that might open the door for you to step in with the Lord? I want you to think of somebody now that's not a Christian. I'm thinking of one of my grandsons who's not a Christian. And he's married and he has three children. And it breaks our hearts. And Bobby and I pray for him every night. And we pray that some way, somehow, his heart will change. His daddy's a preacher. His granddaddy's a preacher. He knows what's right. He doesn't need another sermon. He's had enough sermons. He needs somebody to listen. He needs somebody to pray for him. He needs somebody. In our family, and I'm sure it's in your family, we don't throw anybody away. Amen? You don't throw anybody away. You don't listen. There's a difference between acceptance and approval. Amen? The Lord says accept everybody. Why? Because regardless of who they are, what color they are, or what they do, they're made in the image of God. Amen? Christ died for all men. And so we accept them as someone who has been made in the image of God. But we don't approve of their decisions. We don't approve of their lifestyle. We do not, it's not, it's not that we do not approve of it, the Lord doesn't approve of it. I get calls on television, what's the Church of Christ stand on on, on same-sex marriage. What's the Church of Christ stand on homosexuality? Whatever the Bible says. That's it. That's very easy to explain. Whatever the Bible says. That's our stand. If the name on the front is what it's supposed to be. If this church belongs to Christ, then obviously, then we believe whatever Christ said. Amen? So then, are you involved? Let's go with those again. We getting better or worse? Worse. Do we need more church in the world? Yes. Are you involved in anybody's life spiritually? I hope you are. And if you're not, I hope you will decide tonight. I'm going to, I'm going. Conversions, and we'll talk about how the early church grew in a phenomenal way and the way they did it, but Conversions now are based on relationship. I can't remember when I baptized anybody that wasn't my friend first. And he's going to be my friend if he decides not to be baptized. Relationships come first now. See, we've switched. Most of us are old enough to remember that we lived in a cognitive age. We used to think about and be concerned about what we know. What do you know? Because what you know is going to determine what you're going to... Now the whole world has shifted over to how do you feel? How do you feel about this? I, I, I feel this way. I, I feel this way about my marriage, so I'll change. I feel this way about my work, and so I don't like my work, so I quit. The music, the media, 
everything that's going on today in 2016 has to do with feelings. Now, feelings are fine if they're based on conviction. I feel better after I clean out the garage than before I did. And so the Bible is all full of feeling. We're not bad-mouthing feelings. We're just saying you, can't, you cannot have them as your total direction. So what do you know? Jesus said you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not the way you feel. Paul, Paul said, I felt fine killing Christians. I felt fine. I thought I was doing right. But who in the world would agree that that was right? So your conscience can be your guide if your conscience are properly guided by the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Either we're going to follow the Bible or we're not. Folks, it's going to get so hot in the kitchen, I believe, in the years to come, that it's going to separate the men from the boys. Do you think if you needed a job and you filled out an application and you put Christian on there, do you think that would help you or hurt you now? It'd hurt. It would hurt. We're, some of us may live long enough to really see Christians persecuted in this country if we're not already. And I wonder about our young people and how they are able to stand in school for what the Bible teaches about anything, morality or anything else. And so then it's important that we realize that God will make the kingdom. We need people in the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're not going to be saved if they're not. Paul said in Ephesians 1.3, all spiritual blessings are where? In Christ Jesus. Now, either you're in or you're out. And we need to stay close to people. Uh, we need to, we'll talk about this. As I'm going to give you some points. I wish you'd write them down. Number one, in the New Testament. I went back and I've studied church growth for 60 years. And I went back and I said, okay, why is the church not growing now and why did it grow back then? Number one, in a spiritually healthy congregation, evangelism or sharing your faith automatically happens. Now there was a time, and I'm not bad-mouthing it, but there was a time in the church of my Lord. Listen, I was born on Tuesday and went to church on Sunday. So I've been in it all my life, just like you have. We used to have a certain group of people who had their film strips that went out on Monday night, remember? And those film strips converted a lot of people. We don't do that anymore. There are a lot of things we don't do anymore. We can't do it anymore. You can't knock on doors anymore. The reason television is so powerful, and that's what I said Sunday morning, the reason television is so powerful is they let me in on Sunday morning, and if I knocked on their door, they wouldn't do it. But I get in because of television. And it costs Mayfair $50,000 a year. And there's never been a discussion in 36 years as to whether it's going to continue or not. And so if we, Paul said, look at, look at chapter 3, verse 6. Very simple. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God makes things grow. Then in the next verse he says, the one that plants nothing, the one that waters nothing, But God makes things grow. He says it twice in two verses. 
And so then what he wants me to do and you to do is to plant and water. And every one of you know what that knows what that means. And if we plant and water, listen, uh, at Pulaski Street uh, the, other, the other day after church, this fellow came up to me, he had on a golf shirt, he weighed about 300 pounds. And he said, can I hug your neck? What do you think I'm going to say? No. I said, yeah, you can hug my neck. He said, let me tell you, my mother was a Christian. And she raised every one of us as children of God. My daddy was a member of a denomination, and he would not go to church with her, and he'd stay at home. He made friends with one of the preachers there in that county. They played golf together, and they were friends. He called him one day, this father, and he said, I want you to meet me at the building. I want you to baptize me. They called the family. They were just out of their minds with joy. And they met him at the building, and the preacher baptized him, and they asked him. They said, Daddy, what happened? He said, I stayed at home, and I watched Gary Bradley on Abundant Living, and he read to me from the Bible that I needed to be baptized, and I needed to be in the Lord's church. And I I cried. I mean, tears is in his eyes, and me too. That's not the end of the story. He said in two weeks, he was coming back from Nashville and he was hit, his car was hit by a drunk driver and killed him. That's, I've, I've heard all kinds of stories since I've been on the air. And like mother watches you, she wouldn't miss your program, she gets her health people to, that, that's fine. That tore me up. Because I know the power of the Word. It's not me. It's not Mayfair. It's the Word. And so, in a congregation, when people just say, won't you go to church with me? Why don't we do like uh, Philip did in, in John chapter 1 and verse 41. It says, and the Lord found Philip. I've got a son named Philip. He preaches in Gunnersville, Alabama. And Philip finds Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, I found the Messiah. And Nathaniel says in Alabama language, where does he live? He said, he lives in Nazareth. What did he say? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When I was 21 years old, I preached in Phoenix City, Alabama. <laughs> Anybody ever heard of Phoenix City, Alabama? Yeah. All you army boys remember Phoenix City, Alabama. Yeah. The Las Vegas of Alabama. Well, I was there after the cleanup. And so, uh, evidently, uh, Nathaniel felt the same way. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. You know what Philip said? He's not going to argue with him. He says, come and see. I love that. I've said that for 50 years. Well, you, you folks, listen, by the way, I hate snakes, okay? Don't ever think that Mayfair is going to handle snakes as long as I'm there. All right, I hate live ones, I hate dead ones, I hate snakes. And so when we, when we realize what the Bible means when it says, and Philip finds Nathaniel, what do y'all do at the Church of Christ? There's, people know what we don't believe, but they don't know what we do believe. The other night, I, let me say, I've been to so many places, I forget where I was. I was in a place, I believe I was in Birmingham. And I talked about the restoration. No, no, I was at Gunnersville. And I was talking about the restoration movement. 
and the need for us to put emphasis on the grace of God. He said, the, I was born and raised in the church, and I went to Faulkner University, and they had a revival, and the preacher preached on the grace of God, and I was a freshman in college before I heard my first sermon on God's grace. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine somebody trying to be raised a Christian life and not even having heard a sermon on the grace of God? When Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace have you been saved. We didn't pull ourselves to heaven by our own bootstraps. We can't live. You can't go to church enough. You can't pray enough. You can't read the Bible enough to cause the Lord to love you any more than He already does. And you don't have to work for it. All you got to do is do what He says. And He tells you to get your life right. You need to anyway. And I do too. And so in a spiritually healthy congregation, is this a healthy church? You believe it's a healthy church? Okay, in a healthy church, it just happens. People say, come go to church with me. Now research says that since 9-11, listen to me closely now, that people will go to church when the right people ask them. All right, what do you mean by the right people? I mean people with credibility. I believe you are just like Pulaski Street. You're just like uh, uh, Mayfair and Huntsville. So you're some of the best people in this community. You're just not using it. You've got their respect. They see you come to church on Wednesday night. That blows them away. They see you here Sunday morning. They see you here Sunday night. You'd give them the shirt off your back. But you've not gotten involved with them spiritually. And have you planted? Have you watered? Don't worry about the increase. You say, well, I'll never baptize. That's not your job. Your job is to plant and water. Amen? Let the Lord do the addition. Let the Lord take it. Like that man on TV, I'd, I would have never heard that story. I'd have, I'd have gone to my grave and never heard what that big fella told me Sunday morning about his dad watching me on TV. And so in a spiritually healthy congregation, it just happens. People just bring their friends. Be like some of the women at Mayfair. That One of the stores will have a sale, and one of these women will call my wife and tell her, why are you calling my wife? She doesn't need to know, you know? When you, like grandchildren and great-grand, Jesus said, whatever's on your heart is what you're going to talk about. And when, that's the reason, write down 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. There's a problem right there. When Jesus gets to be number one in your heart, you're going to tell it. I don't mean you're going to be radical. I don't mean you're going to run people off. They're going to see it in your life. And then when the door is open, you can walk in. When the door is I got gray-headed before I found out you don't teach anybody that doesn't want to be taught. And so when changes, you know when we convert people? When they move. We convert more people when they move because they're uprooted, they don't have any friends, they don't have any ties, they don't know, they don't have a doctor, they don't have a lawyer, they don't have, they don't have a church. Chances are 
especially if they move from the north. And so then, are we, do we have our first century glasses on? Are we watching for people? And is the church really growing? And it did in the New Testament because it just happens. Secondly, they all shared their faith in their own way. They all shared their faith in their own way. When Matthew began to be a follower of Christ, he didn't start preaching. He had a party of all the other tax collectors, I love it, and invited Jesus. Isn't that cool? He invited all the other, and, and tax collectors were hated. They were, they were the IRS gone to seed. They were the worst people in the world. They not only charged the taxes that they should, they had charged more, and all of them ended up wealthy people. And so one of them, Matthew, begins to be a follower of the Lord, and he scratches his head and says, what in the world am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll have a party at my house, and we'll ask all the other tax collectors to come and have Jesus there. Wow. (laughs) What a great idea. In Jasper, Alabama, you know where that is? It's a lot of mines, mining country. Well, back then, if you'll watch, going up 65, if you'll watch some of these gas stations, there's a bunch of trucks parked around. And those are the men who are riding to work with other men. All right, here was the deal. It happened in one of the churches in Jasper. This brother never taught a class like my dad, never led a public prayer like my dad, but he was there every time the doors opened. So this brother said to the four men that rode with him, all right, one week they would ride with one man and they'd pay him on Friday. The next week they'd ride to the mines, which was way into the county, with the other man. All right, this man's week was time for him. And he met with them. They got in his truck on Monday morning and he said, I got a deal for y'all. They said, oh, what is it? He said, you can ride free of charge this week. They said, oh, really? Yeah. If you'll listen to a tape by my preacher all the way to work and all the way back home, four men baptized two of them. He lost money that week. He lost money. But he gained two souls. No, he didn't. You're right, brother. He didn't. Just thinking. You don't have to preach. You don't have to lead singing. You just, need to, you just need to love. Love enough to ask God for the boldness to say, come go with me to church. You like your preacher? If you don't, run him off. Alright? If you like him, then say, why don't, you have, why don't you come with me and listen to him preach? It's amazing what will happen. They may not come. They might. They might. I've got something I should have brought. I, I had a funeral, so I left the funeral and went home, changed clothes, and just came right on. And it, it, this woman writes it. She says, I want to go to church. Said, But when I go, nobody will speak to me. And she's been. And it's, a, it's an article about that long. She said, I'm not anti-Christianity. I, I've got problems. I need friends. But Nobody seems to care. You know, we've got a problem at Mayfair. It says, Mayfair cares, 
you know, we can put it on our stationery, we can put it on our sign. Those, that's cute, but do we do it? Do we really care? And so every member shares with in its own way. Number three, this is very important. I've got to hurry because uh, he told me when to hush. In the New Testament, listen to me now. I don't want you to misunderstand. Don't go away and say something I didn't say. In the New Testament, evangelism took place in the street, not in the church building. That's a very simple reason. They didn't have one. They didn't have a church building for 300 years. And so evangelism took place where? Down by the river, read Acts 16. When Paul gets there in town in Philippi, he says, uh, are there any, anything religious going on? And this fellow says, yeah, there's some women down by the river having a prayer meeting. Oh, really? So Paul goes down there, you know the story. And he preaches and converts the people. He converts Lydia. She's a seller of purple. Purple is a royal color. She sells Cadillacs. Okay? She is a very, obviously a very successful woman. And so she's on the road. She's not from Philippi. And so she obeys the gospel and begs Paul and them, Paul and Silas, to stay with her. And then they go back into town, they cast the demon out of this girl, and the Jews who were making money off of her got so upset about it, they had Paul and Silas arrested, and they were beaten and put in prison, in jail that night. Okay, so the idea is that evangelism, don't wait until people will come to church with you. Have a Bible study. And I love that. I love for my people to say, I've invited my friend. When somebody invites their friend from work, uh, would you like to study? Who wouldn't like to study the Bible? I'm sure they would. And then you invite, if you don't want to do it, you invite somebody. We've got elders here. We've got deacons here. You've got preachers here. You've got brethren here. Let me give you my, quickly, my, my method of converting people. When I'm asked to study with people, we study the book of John. The book of John will change your life. I promise you. If you'll read it with your heart. The last half of the book deals with the last seven days of the life of Jesus. Half the book. And it is is life changing. When I I want to study, if somebody wants to be a Christian, we study the book of John. Alright, when they get through, I say, okay, what are you going to do about it? Is he who he says he is? There are seven miracles in the book of John that prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Seven miracles. And John says in the 20th chapter, these things were written that you might believe, and having believed, you might have life through his name. And so he tells at the end of the book why the book was written. So then after we study John, we go to Acts. And then we look at the seven examples of conversion. And we usually baptize them after those conversions. And then we study the book of James and and the book of Philippians. Those two. The book of James will eat your lunch. Everybody needs to read the book of James. Once a week at least. Especially 
when we get to thinking too much of ourselves. And that's what Paul said in Romans 12. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. You know? And so the book of James kind of gets you back. And then Philippians is the book of joy. And where is he? Paul, he's in a stinking jail in Rome. And he writes about joy. I get mail all the time from the limestone prison in North Alabama. It's not very nice. They're not about joy. I promise you. And so then, uh, evangelism, sharing our faith happens in a spiritually healthy congregation. Everybody does what they can in their own way. Often invitation. Have you ever sat, and I, I asked... Uh, Pulaski Street this Sunday. Have you ever have you ever sat for six hours with a loved one, with someone you cared for, and watched them have chemo? Just sat in the next chair while they sit there for six solid hours while that stuff goes through their system. You ought to try it sometime. You ought to try it when you get home. You won't be fussing about your credit card. And so when you think about being involved in anybody's life spiritually, sharing your faith, don't wait till they come to the building. They, they really don't want to come to the building. They don't know what to expect. But they see you, they love you, you have confidence in them, you stay close to them. It's amazing to me what happens in people's lives. And, and how open the door is. And we need to be there and walk in. I'm trying to stay close to my grandson. And he, as I said, he doesn't need another sermon. But I'm trying to stay close to him so when he opens that door, I'll be there. And I want him to always be able to say that, that everybody gave up on me but granddaddy. I don't want to be a part of that group that won't speak to him anymore. That won't have anything to do with him anymore. I'm not going to be a part of that group. And so then evangelism. See, we used, it used to take place in our building. Went back to Chattanooga. In 1971, we had a citywide, a citywide meeting. We had 31 congregations and 30 participated. You can't do that now. 30 out of 31 participated. George Bailey from... Dallas, Texas. He's still living. He's in a nursing home in Houston. George Bailey did the preaching. On the last night, we baptized 85 people. 85 people dressed in white, standing in line, waiting to be baptized in a portable baptistry in the city auditorium in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so they'd never been, some of them had never been inside of a church of Christ. Now, used to, when I first started, uh, 1957, uh, senior in high school, uh, people would come to the, we'd have revivals. Remember when we'd have gospel meetings? Remember? People would come. Not anymore. Not anymore. Members won't even come anymore. And so then we're going to have to change our vote. Like knocking on doors used to work. It won't work now. People don't trust you. I really don't blame them. Do you? 
to let people in you don't know in your house? No. We live in a changed world, and we're going to have to change with them. So conversions took place on the road uh, that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. Man riding in the chariot. It's like flying in an airplane from Nashville to Dallas, and a man sitting there reading his Bible. And you sit down next to him, and you're on the airplane. Do you understand what you're reading? And I hope he would not be offended. He'd say, no, I, I need some help. Is this prophet here in Isaiah 53, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Oh, he said, well, he took from that very passage and preached unto him Jesus. And the man said, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? He said, do you believe with all of your heart Jesus is a Christ, Son of the living God? He said, yes, I do. He commanded the church to stand still. They both went down into the water and he baptized them. What's so hard about that? It's caring. It's caring. It's planting and watering and stepping back. This, this is what's so beautiful. It's when you plant and when you water. Just like on television. I, all I'm doing is planting and watering. I don't know in 36 years how many have been. Somebody asked me, how many are you baptized on television? I don't know. How many have come back to the church? I don't know. That's not my job. My job is, see, brethren, when we teach, we are successful. Please accept that. When we teach, and you teach by word of mouth, and you teach by your life, we're salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 and 17. We're salt and light in this world. And it will cause people, when they're ready, to come to him before it's too late. Well, I didn't get started. Please ask me back so I can finish. And you listened real well. Thank you so much. May God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we could use we could use these sermons every week, every day. Thank you, Gary, for coming. Let us pray. Father, we're blessed to know and love you, and we're blessed, Father, that we have men who can inspire and motivate and teach your word. And I pray that you will continue to bless Gary and his efforts to seek and save the lost. And I pray that you will protect him tonight as he travels home and give him good health in the future. And Father, bless our church as we assemble each time. And I pray through Christ. Amen.